Welcome to Movement Paradigm Podcast, the podcast that discusses manual therapy, movement, and mindset. Today's episode, I have Merrick Brave. He sat down with me last week. Merrick started professional wrestling back in 2003. He had a successful career, traveled, he toured, and ended up retiring a couple years ago due to a neck injury. So he had uh, lots of success as a performer. And then just because of an injury, he had to he had to make the best of his knowledge and then turn more into an education role. So he's the head coach and co-owner of the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy in Davenport, Iowa. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about the business of starting a craft like professional wrestling. And we talked for about 55 minutes. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Please give it up for Merrick Brave. Merrick Brave. Hello. Thanks for sitting down with me. Hey, happy to be here, Ty. Yeah. So what are you passionate about these days? Oh, gosh. Passionate about... Well, my kids come to mind first. I got a, a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old, and they're uh, into sports. My youngest plays deck hockey. My oldest is uh, just wrapping up his baseball season. So pretty passionate about being their father and, and being there for their practices and their games and stuff. Um, passionate about my, my career, my job as a wrestling coach at Black and Brave Wrestling Academy. So that's pretty cool. Um, I've always been passionate about sports myself, like as an avid sports fan. So I love the Cleveland Indians baseball team and the Miami Dolphins football team. Those were the two big sports for me. So I don't know, man, passionate. That's, that's a good starter question. That's a great opener right there. What are you passionate about? I think that's it. You know, like everything else just comes and goes, but those are kind of the constants in my life right now. Cool. That's what I'm passionate about. And so, currently this beer. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you're a veteran in this industry. You've got 20, almost 20 years. Yeah. This August will be 18 years since I started wrestling, uh, in front of actual paying customers. Which is unique to think about. Like my wrestling career is about to become an adult. And I remember like first breaking into the the wrestling business and thinking that, you know, oh man, people have been doing this for five or six years. Those guys really know what they're talking about, you know? And now if I meet a wrestler and they tell me, oh, you know, I've been doing it for five years. I'm like, you just wait. You wait until you, you see what you learn five years from now, 10 years from now, because you never stop learning in this business. But yeah. I guess, yeah, I'm a veteran, 18 years. That's nice. wild. Yeah, so uh, let's hear a little bit about your origin story. What, oh, what gosh. Got started here? Well, I first became a professional wrestling fan when I was living in Kansas when I was younger. I'm not uh, originally from Iowa, but I was about five years old. Um, so 30 years ago, I, I just turned 35 um, last weekend. But 30 years ago, uh, I moved into a new neighborhood, and my next-door neighbor named Brad in Garden City, Kansas, uh, he was a big wrestling fan and I didn't know anything about wrestling, but, uh, you know, he was my friend and we, we wanted to, to play together. So he was like, Hey, let's go jump on the trampoline and, and we can, we can wrestle, you know, we can do professional wrestling. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I want to play. And he's like, I'll be Shawn Michaels and you can be the undertaker. And I didn't know like who the undertaker was or anything. So I couldn't emulate him. But in my head, I had this vision of like a deep sea diver, like an old school deep sea diver from like world war two with like the big glass dome shaped helmet and like the tubes and stuff going everywhere, probably more so like an astronaut. But in my head, he was like a deep sea diver. And I was like undertaker, like under the water. That, that must be what that means as a five-year-old. That's where my brain went. Uh, and so, you know, we, we wrestled on the trampoline. He was Shawn Michaels. I was undertaker still didn't know what that meant. Uh, and then we went back to his house and he pulled out a stack of all these old wrestling magazines. Uh, they were probably current wrestling magazines at the time, but that was back when the magazines were in black and white. And I'm like, Oh wow, this is cool that, you know, these are like superheroes, you know? Uh, and then he pulled out some VHS tapes and popped them in and, and started showing me what professional wrestling was. And I just, from that moment forward was hooked, like immediately and i would watch wrestling whenever it came on tv and then eventually monday night raw was the big weekly show that that happened every monday and i made sure that i watched that every single week uh it was the most 
important thing in my life. Like I, that's what I was passionate about. Uh, so much so that like when I would get in trouble, my parents would ground me from, well, now you can't watch wrestling. You know, that's, it wasn't, they didn't take away video games or toys or anything like that. They said, you're not allowed to watch wrestling this week. So I'd have to find a friend who recorded it and, and go catch up on it. But that's how I became a fan of professional wrestling. It wasn't until many years later that I had an opportunity just almost just like coincidentally to, to find myself a part of something that resembled the professional wrestling business business. Cause at that point it was really just, uh, it wasn't necessarily backyard wrestling because the people I got involved with, they weren't wrestling in a backyard. They had made a makeshift ring in a barn. You literally had to climb a ladder to get to the second level of this barn. Uh, and the ring was made of old mattresses and like, like fold out gym mats. Uh, and the, the four corners of the ring were the, the support beams of this barn. And somebody's dad had put actual turnbuckles into the support beams so that we could get ropes going on this makeshift ring. And it was already built before I had even got there. Uh, and so I watched these 17, 18 year old, they were a couple of years older than me, 17, 18 year old kids put on professional wrestling shows in front of, in front of fans who also climbed the ladder to the second level of this barn and paid, gosh, probably two bucks a ticket, three bucks a ticket at that time to watch these kids wrestle. And to me, it was the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. Uh, and from that moment, I was like, okay, like I need to be a part of this, whatever they're doing, I need to figure out how I can be a part of it. And luckily, uh, I was an avid, uh, trampoline jumper. So I had a little bit of, uh, gymnastic -y type skills. And so I could do a backflip. And so after the show, they were like, if anyone wants to get in the ring and, and mess around, go for it, which nowadays is just like that violates insurance so much running an independent promotion. I would never let that happen, but they were like, yeah, get in the ring and, and mess around. So I got in the first thing I did was a backflip and they looked at me like, Oh my God, you are in, you're totally in. And that that's all you needed to become a professional wrestler back in 2002, 2003 was, can you flip? And I could flip. So I did a backflip. My friend did a front flip and we were a new tag team in, in, uh, this barn wrestling federation. Uh, but yeah, that was, that, that was my origin story. That's how I got started in professional wrestling. And, you know, a few years later, graduated high school and, and went to a professional wrestling school in Chicago and got properly trained and started making the rounds after that. Yeah. So, um, I'm assuming the first couple of years when you're out of school, and you're trying to make it on the road. It's pretty glamorous, right? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I became, uh, thankfully, I think we've passed the statute of limitations, but I became really good at shoplifting because <laughs> I didn't have any money. And when I graduated high school, gas was really, really expensive. That's when gas around here had shot up to like $4 a gallon. So trying to make these trips where you're driving minimum like two and a half, three hours one way, but sometimes as many as six hours or eight hours one way and then having to turn around and make that same drive home, but you're not getting paid very much to, to wrestle on these shows that you're wrestling on and you don't have any merch to sell because you have to have money to purchase the t-shirts before you can turn around and sell them. Uh, you know, you get 10 bucks a match or 20 bucks a match and all of that goes back into the gas tank and then even more than what you were paid. So you didn't have any money for food. So me and my, my current business partner, uh, Seth Rollins of WWE, we became really good at shoplifting. So we'd, we'd hit up uh, gas stations along the way and we'd grab uh, protein bars and energy drinks and slip them in the sleeves of our coats and tuck them under our armpits and, and whatnot. And that's how we survived uh, life on the road back in the day. It was pretty, pretty wild. Thankfully, we never got caught and <laughs> yeah. never got into any trouble. But uh, in our minds, it was like, well, these billion-dollar corporations can support these uh, couple of struggling young professional wrestlers. So... Th thank you very much if if you're watching CEO of uh, Quickstar or whatever. I don't even know what gas stations there were back then. Not a Quickstar, but yeah. So um, when you're starting out in any entertainment lane, the first couple of years you're really not seeing results. You're you're pounding on the road. You're doing shows. You're coming back, and you don't really have anything to hang your hat on. Like this is going great. Well, so we luckily we were. I hate to like say it like this, but we were pretty good when we first started. Like, um, it wasn't difficult for us to 
figure out how to do the moves and stuff. Uh, Seth was also uh, an avid trampoline guy, although separately, like we, we were friends, but we, he lived far away, like a half hour away from where me and my, my friend group lived. So we weren't like the tightest of friends, uh, in high school after, after we, you know, got trained together and became wrestlers together. Then that's when we, we became close friends, excuse me. But, uh, it wasn't difficult for us to, to pick up on, at least the basics and then some of the cooler moves and, and flips and dives and all those things. So it actually, it actually did get us some notoriety pretty early on. There was a company called IWA mid South, um, which back in the early two thousands was one of the top independent promotions in the country. And a lot of big name independent wrestlers would, would go through there. So we actually would go to those shows as fans, our junior and senior year of high school, and we would help set up the ring. Um, just so we could get in the good graces of the promoter, Ian Rotten. Um, and then after we got trained, our trainer wrestled for IWA Mid-South. So he recommended us to the promoter who remembered us from, from helping out with ring crew uh, for so many years that he was like, okay, I'll give these guys a chance. And then that's all we needed back then. So when we got our chance, we usually knocked it out of the park and we did for him. And then we became regulars on IWA Mid-South shows, wrestling some of the top names and in the independents. So we actually did attain a, a certain level of notoriety pretty early on. Yeah. It, it still, things were still difficult though. We still had, we still weren't getting paid very well, whether we were on these shows or not. So we still had the very lean moments of losing a lot of money. Um, you know, sometimes you'd get really excited for a show and then you'd get there and there'd be 25 paying fans. And it's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta do this and, and put my body through all this in front of 25 people. But we never took a night off. We didn't, we never canceled a show cause we thought it wasn't going to be promoted well. And we never wrestled less than a hundred percent effort just because there was 20 people there instead of 200, which we would have preferred, but it was very rare back in the day. You know, when we first started on the independent scene, it was, I started in December, 2004 as a fully trained professional wrestler, making the, making the road trips and everything like that. Um, wrestling wasn't cool. It wasn't the popular thing. Like nowadays it's, it's been marketed really well. Um, and people like it, people enjoy professional wrestling, but back then it, you were kind of a laughing stock if you were into professional wrestling. So the crowds weren't there. So oftentimes we'd be wrestling in front of 20, 30 people instead of the 200 people that, you know, we would have been proud of to, to go home and be like, Oh, you should have seen the crowd this week, guys. It was great, but it rarely was great, but we just loved it. We loved wrestling. We loved performing. Uh, and it was like an addiction. So we didn't want to we didn't, we didn't care really. We didn't care how many people were there. It was just our opportunity to get in the ring, which was our stage and, and do what we love. Cool. And that's kind of the mindset that you have to have when you first start out, because it doesn't go, it doesn't go smoothly for a lot of people. And sometimes people, we got lucky, but sometimes people will toil on the lower levels of the independent ranks for years upon years before they finally catch a break. Yeah. You got to have the mindset for the career you want sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, I really, I'm digging deep into, into wrestling now. And I really like how there's this artistic side of it. You're basically a martial artist. You've got to perform, build this character. So you've got all these hats that you're wearing. Yeah. What came easy when you were starting out? The physical stuff or the, the character? Yeah. I think most people would tell you the physical stuff's easier than the character stuff because you, you're in a shell. I acted in some plays and stuff uh, when I was in middle school. Um, none in high school. I was more focused on football and things, but so I had a little bit of an acting background, just, uh, you know, as minuscule of one as you can have. Uh, so that stuff maybe came easier to me than other people, but certainly the physical stuff was a lot easier to, to do because you just practiced it. And once you practiced it enough, it became muscle memory and you were able to do it on command. Uh, but developing a character is probably the hardest thing for people to do when they first uh, start out in the business. I know I didn't have a, a set character for years. I was just a young white dude with long hair who did some cool wrestling moves. You know, that was my character. Uh, we call it a, a white meat baby face. You were just, you were real white meat or white bread. Uh, baby face is a good guy. So you came out there and back in the day you could go, come on people and clap your hands and people would cheer for you. And now in 
2021, you go out and you say, come on, everybody. And they boo you mercilessly because <laughs> social media has turned everyone into a, a jaded individual. Nobody wants to cheer for the good guy anymore. Everybody wants, everybody likes the bad guy because they're way cooler. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the athletic part of wrestling came a little bit easier than the, the character development because then it's less of, well, just regurgitating what you know and it's more so on you to be creative with everything and then you feel judged like oh man are people are gonna like are people gonna like this character is is this gonna get over with the crowd are they gonna are they gonna dig it are they gonna cheer for me if they're supposed to or boo me if they're supposed to uh and you feel more exposed and 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 more judged so i think that that was a similar experience for myself and seth uh, and I think people still deal with that to this day. They find that the most difficult part of, of breaking into the business is developing a character that connects with the audience and creates an emotional connection. Yeah. I know you guys, <clears throat> you go on to that a, a lot with your uh, Black and Brave Wrestling yep. Academy. Yep. Um, when did things start to click for you? How many years in? That's the funny thing about this business is when, when you feel things starting to click, and you feel like you know what you're doing, you'll look back on that time in your career and you'll be like two years later, later you'll look back and be like, man, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know shit. And then, then at that point you're like, but I got it now. And then two years after that, you look back and you're like, nope, still didn't got it. I still didn't have it. Then I, I didn't know what I was talking about. So even to this day, 18 years in, I feel like I'm still learning and evolving as I'm not a, a performer anymore, but I still have a performer's brain and I still, I coach performers and, and running an independent show that I do, I still come up with storylines and different segments for matches and different things. So I feel like I'm still learning to this day how to uh, perform at the, at the highest level and how to keep things unique and fresh and get people interested in, in, in what you're trying to do. You know, you're basically selling people stories and you're hoping they buy them, but you, you have to come up with a good story that's worth buying first. So, um, I don't know. I would say as far as like being able to put together a match that I was proud of, uh, probably a couple years into it, I started being like, okay, you know, well, I've done this before and it didn't quite work how I wanted to. So I'm going to tweak that a little bit and do it this way, which is a little bit different. And hopefully that'll get the result that I wanted. And then if it did, it's all right, cool. I'm going to keep that in my bag of tricks. I'm going to throw out these other things that didn't work. I'll try some new things. We just call it throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. You got to throw enough shit at the wall that eventually some of it sticks up there and you can look at it and go, oh, okay. All right. Those are the things. These are my bullet points, so to speak, for the for this type of match that I'm trying to have. And that's kind of the cool thing in wrestling is that you'll have different matches based on different criteria, right? Like are the person you're wrestling, is this just a one-off, go out there and have a good match with each other situation? Or is there heat in that storyline? Is there a long storyline where, you know, this guy, you know, stole your girl and you're upset about it. So you got to get revenge. And, you know, how do you channel those emotions and whatnot? And that, that'll... I always like uh, instances like that where I get an opportunity to sink my teeth into a storyline and something that I can build off of. I always find that to be more fun, but it, it certainly changes the way you wrestle and, and the match that you put together. You can't just go out there and, you know, if, if you and I hate each other and, and, you know, you you threw my dog into the river, you know, I'm not going to go out there and lock up with you and tie up with you and, and try to get you in a wrestling hold. I'm going to get in that ring and punch you in the face. That's the first thing I'm going to do is try to punch you in the face and take you down and beat you into the mat. Uh, so it, it certainly changes based on what you're looking to get out of a match, how you go and do that. Um, have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? I have not. No. So imposter syndrome, uh, you see it a lot with high performers where they're at a level of success, but they still feel like some way they don't belong. Like, what am I yeah. doing? Do you ever struggle with that? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because it's not something I've talked about or vocalized before, but well, I didn't know it was so common, but, but definitely, uh, for like the first few years, a couple of years of my career, I thought, you know, I'm not even really supposed to be doing this right now. Like 
I always loved professional wrestling, but I never viewed it as a possible career until essentially I graduated high school and was like, man, I don't want to go to college. Like that was the plan laid out for me. I had some scholarships to the University of Iowa to go get a teaching degree. And I actually had a girlfriend who was a year older than me who had been at the University of Iowa for a year. And we had these big plans of going there together and then moving in together and, and progressing through life that way. And just halfway through my senior year of high school, I realized that's not what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do beyond that because I never looked at professional wrestling as a career, even though I was wrestling on shows in front of paying customers all throughout my senior year of high school. I never thought to myself, well, this is a job that you can go get and, and make a life as a professional wrestler. That just times were different back then. It wasn't, um, you didn't see people make it in companies like WWE at the time, that was really it. It was only WWE, WCW had folded, and AEW was decades, a decade and a half from from opening up. But excuse me, but uh, you didn't see people rise up from the independent ranks to get contracts and become megastars in WWE. That's just not how it was back then. You had to know somebody, you had to have a, a family member in the business, or you had to be an ex MMA guy or an ex college football player or NFL football player, you just, you didn't start out at an independent wrestling level and move up. Even the best independent wrestlers in the world hadn't been signed yet. And then two years into my career, guys like CM Punk got signed um, and Daniel Bryan got signed and even guys eventually like Colt Cabana and, and Chris Hero and, and different independent wrestlers like that got signed to WWE contracts. And you were like, wait a second, maybe this is something that could happen. But when I was trying to figure out what my future was going to be, it didn't, professional wrestling wasn't it. I just didn't, I never looked at it as something that I could do. And then through, you know, a series of, of events, uh, Seth had always planned on being a professional wrestler since the time he was a little kid. And he had started working out and doing different things to, to, uh, attain that career when he was like 12 years old. So he knew what he was going to do. Uh, he just, we were talking one day and just nonchalantly as he often does says something so profound and it's just like, well, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you just become a pro wrestler? That's what I'm going to do. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, I like wrestling. Okay. So how do we go do that? Cause we've been wrestling on these independent shows as, as untrained professional wrestlers. I don't even, that might not even work. Untrained professional, whatever, <laughs> but we were getting paid to wrestle. So, um, and so we, he was like, well, just come be a professional wrestler would be, that'll be fun. You know what? It will be. And that was like the light bulb that went off that was like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe I can try and do this for a career. So, uh, injuries were a big part of your career. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. Many injuries, some more severe than others. Yeah. So, uh, what were the big ones? Um, so I, I think maybe my first big injury was, uh, I tore my left bicep in a match. I went to, I speared someone and, you know, I kind of got my arm in there and, and just hit them really hard and it tore the, the bicep off the bone. Um, and I didn't have insurance at the time, so I wasn't able to go get surgery on that to, to heal it properly, but it was diagnosed. Luckily we had a, a medical professional in the audience and they came backstage and they, they, you know, felt around there. Oh yeah, you tore your bicep. You need to go get, get that fixed up, get surgery on that. But I didn't have insurance, so I didn't. Uh, and the muscle healed itself like it healed itself, but it left my arm locked in a bent position like this, which wasn't the worst thing in the world because my job at the time was a pizza delivery boy. So you can imagine <laughs> that's actually a pretty good position to get your arm locked in for the, the type of work I was doing. So I just stacked the pizzas on here and go deliver the pizzas, but I didn't stop wrestling. I wrestled the entire time that I had the torn bicep. I would just tape it from middle of my forearm all the way up to almost my shoulder and it would just stay locked into place. And that's how I wrestled for however many months. And so it eventually healed, but it healed up like this. And so every night before bed, I would take my arm and I would pull on it and I would pull on it until it hurt. And I would do it over and over and over again. And after a period of, you know, I, you probably know better than I do as a, as somebody involved in the medical field, I don't know how long it took, but eventually it got to the point where I could straighten my arm again and huh. it was good to go. And I mean, we're talking months and yeah, months yeah. and months of this until eventually I healed a torn bicep on my own, I guess. But uh, when you don't have money and you don't have medical insurance, you do what you got to do. So there was that. I had a staph infection, which was not fun. Uh, independent wrestling is kind of dirty. Um, 
I got a tooth busted out, which wasn't that big of a deal, but I literally had a missing tooth in the front of my mouth for 10 years until eventually we started the school and I had enough money to replace it. But the major injury, the one that everyone knows about is, is my neck injury that I suffered in 2007 wrestling, uh, for FIP in a ring of honor tryout match, always with the best, the best timing with these injuries, uh, essentially get through this match, do a good job. And you're going to get a contract to be uh, a, a very well-paid professional wrestler, independent professional wrestler. So more money than I was making at that time. Just get through this match and everything will be good. Well, I didn't get through the match. I landed on the top of my head uh, due to somebody else's mistake. Uh, they've apologized profusely and there's no uh, bad blood between us. So, um, but yeah, they, they were supposed to flip over the top of me and I, they ended up not flipping. And then I landed on my forehead, which then touched the back of my head in between my shoulder blades um, like you can literally pause it if you watch it back and it looks like I've been decapitated. It looks like his head's not supposed to be there. Um, and again, didn't have medical insurance. So they, uh, actually funny side note, they put me on the stretcher, right? So it's the only time in my career where they've called an ambulance and had the ambulance pick me up from the show. I've gone to the hospital a couple times from wrestling, but, uh, uh, usually after the fact, this one, I'm in my gear laying in the center of the ring. The show's over. Luckily we were the main event. Um, we get through the match, um, which was a tag team match. Seth was in that match. Uh, they stretcher me, they put me on the stretcher and after they strap me into the stretcher, so I can't move. And I got the neck brace on, there was a shooting outside of the venue down in Florida. Like somebody got shot. And so somebody was laying on the, the ground bleeding outside of the venue. And they were like, Hey, we'll be right back. We're just going to go take a look at that real quick. And so they just left me laying in the ring by myself like this, where while somebody was running around with a gun, apparently I, don't, I was like, man, I hope they don't come in here. I'm kind of a, a sitting duck, but, uh, I don't know. I think they took off, but they came back. They put me in the ambulance and then it was the ambulance driver's like first day and he went the wrong direction. And they were like, they were like, oh yeah, we'll be there in a couple minutes. And then I just hear him whispering like, turn around. What are you doing? Turn around. <laughs> they like turned the wrong way. They turned around and got me back. It was a, a series of unfortunate events, but, uh, they, I didn't have insurance. So they were like, oh, this kid's never going to pay his bill, which I didn't, I never paid that bill. So <laughs> if you're, if somebody in Florida is, uh, looking for me on that, I'm long gone, man. You'll never find me unless yeah. you get a hold of Ty here and then you can probably find me. But yeah, I, uh, could, I could probably cover that. <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Pretty high budget operation. I'm working here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're like, oh, this kid doesn't have insurance. We're going to give him a quick x-ray. And as long as he didn't like snap his, you know, vertebrae here, there or wherever, then we're going to send him. So they did that real quick. And then they literally wouldn't let me get changed in the hospital bed in the room. Cause they were like, Hey, we got other people that need to be seen. You got to get out of here. You, you didn't break your neck. You got to go. And I was just like, Oh, okay. So they made me, they, I'm literally in my wrestling trunks and everything wrist tape on. Uh, they made me get changed in the waiting room, like the lobby of the ER. Like they had me go into the bathroom in the lobby and put my clothes on because that's how you get treated in America when you don't have health insurance. Uh, yeah. cause they know you're not going to pay that bill. Spinal and I didn't trauma, again. man. That's pretty serious. So I never knew how serious the injury was. All I knew was I couldn't walk. So I got loaded up with some pain pills, uh, that were given to me by a fellow professional wrestler. So thank you. You know who you are. Um, but I was, out of it. I don't remember the, the flight home from Florida. All I remember is they had to wheel me around in a wheelchair. And eventually I got to the airport in Moline, Illinois, right across the river from Davenport here. And my mom was picking me up and she was bawling and, Oh my God, you need to quit this wrestling stuff. And I couldn't walk for like two weeks. I was so weak. Everything was so weak. And, and, uh, I don't know. I literally just laid in bed and like would just like stumble to the bathroom and into the kitchen to grab food of my apartment. Luckily I had some nice roommates who were, were helpful in that situation, but uh, it took me a couple of weeks just to feel like functional again. But at that point I was like, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to perform at the level that I need to be able to perform at to keep going in the professional wrestling business. Um, so even though I didn't really know what was wrong with me at the time, I just knew things weren't right. So I ended up canceling a lot of my bookings, which got me some heat 
uh, with certain people because I wasn't really as forthcoming as I needed to be about how severe my injury was. And I was just like, well, whatever, no harm, no foul. I'll just kind of fade off into the background and then nobody will even remember me and I'll just go on and do something else in life. Well, it's very difficult to do that when you get the wrestling itch, you always need to scratch that. So I eventually once I felt normal ish again, I still couldn't really like work out. Working out was like a no go. Every time I would even try to lift weights, I would feel like somebody stapled a, a two by four down my spine and like I was Frankenstein and couldn't move. So again, another indication that something was severely wrong, but, uh, I decided I would just wrestle locally and do like one show a month or two shows a month tops. And that was when I was wrestling three times a week, three or four times a week, every week, everywhere. So I scaled back to just do the the one show a month. Um, and I did that for a little while, maybe like a year and a half after my injury, two years tops. And then at that point I was feeling terrible. I, I just wasn't, my heart wasn't in it anymore. Uh, and I knew uh, in in that time frame, actually just a couple of months after my original injury, the, the company offered to bring me back down and they still wanted to sign me to the contract. Um, and at that point I knew that you know, something was wrong. And so if I would have signed the contract, I would have just been stealing money from them because I wouldn't have been able to perform up to the standards that I had set for myself or the standards that the fans of that company have of the performers that wrestle there. So instead of just stealing the money, I just declined the return trip and told them I wasn't going to come down and, and I was going to retire from pro wrestling. And all of my wrestling friends got word of that immediately. And everyone was calling me trying to talk me out of it. No, come down here. You know, I was supposed to be part of a, of a stable, a group of, of wrestlers called age of the fall, which ended up being a pretty impactful group for that organization. And I was supposed to be an original member. That was the plan, but I declined the invitation. And, and like I said, just kind of faded off into the background, um, and decided, you know, I was going to take some time off. I thought I was going to retire from wrestling to be fully honest. I thought that's it. I'm done. Um, so I took time off and in that time I, I, uh, I got married. I, did, you know, some, I did some things for my, my back and my spine that got me feeling like I was, I was in a kind of a good spot. Um, and then Seth who got signed to WWE during my time off had come home for a Christmas break and we were talking about wrestling and I had said to him, Hey, you know, I was just watching one of your matches recently. And I, and as you were doing the stuff you were doing, I was like calling it like in my head, like like a couple seconds before you would do it. So I'm like, I know I can still wrestle mentally. I just don't know if I can physically. And he's like, well, why don't you just get back in shape and give it a shot? You know, if you like it again, another one of these profound moments where he just says something so casually. And then it's just like a light bulb goes off. He just puts things in the most simplest terms. Just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? That, I guess that makes sense. I could, there's no pressure. I'm not trying to make it a career at this point. I could just do it because I like it, you know, like it doesn't have to be this thing where, well, what if I embarrass myself or what if I could just get on a local show, get back in shape, get on a local show and just scratch the itch and, and have fun. So that's exactly what I did. I got back into shape. I lost like 30 pounds, uh, just going to the gym and doing cardio and things and, and got back into professional wrestling after, you know, about a year and a half of, of my time off. So we're talking like 2012 at this point where I, I came back to it after being off since like late 2009. Uh, and I started doing well again. I started doing really well. And, and the business, a lot of the, the, the guys that I had been on the road with and been around with had been signed and, and went to bigger and better promotions. And so I looked around and I was like, oh man, I'm kind of like, one of the top guys around here. I'm, I'm one of the guys who've been doing it the longest, um, which was weird, but, but cool in a way. Cause it's like, okay, well now I can pass this knowledge down to other people. Um, and then that's when Seth had the idea, well, why don't we open a wrestling school then we'll do it. You know, I'll move back home. He was living in Florida at the time. I'll move back home and we'll open a school together. And so then I'm now I'm wrestling on the weekends and we're, we're doing the school during the week. And like, I'm just really into professional wrestling at this point. And like, everything's going really, really well. And then one day I wrestled uh, on a show, not too far from here, maybe like an hour and a half from here. And like, I, I could tell there was something going on with my back and my neck uh, in the match. So I kind of, I, I like worked around it a little bit, didn't take as many bumps and, and things. And then I drove home. And when I got home, I went to get out of my truck and I couldn't stand up straight. I was hinged over at the hips and I just could not straighten my back. And I was like, something isn't right here. So uh, I waited a couple of days. I called the doctor and was like, I, I think I need to be seen for, for something going on in my spine. Um, 
you know, I think it's, it's due to an old injury that I had at that point. Oh gosh, that was about 10 years prior. Cause this was 2017 when, you know, when this thing with my back happened and I went in and, and they finally did a full MRI, not just x-rays, but like full imaging. So we can get a look at everything that's going on in there. And they were like, Oh, you know, we'll call you in about a week, get you your results in about a week pretty standard. And they called me two hours later and it was like the classic, it sounds cheesy, but it was the classic, like, Hey, are you sitting down? Like we, we have some information that you might want to sit down for. And I was like, okay. So I sat down in my kitchen and they were like, whatever you're doing right now, you need to stop. Don't work out. Stop the wrestling. They're like, you have a very serious neck injury. Basically one of, from what I understand, one of my discs was about to herniate into my spinal column, which would have been bad. <laughs> they, they talked about possibly being paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of my life. If something, if one fall didn't go right, or I slipped on, you know, a patch of ice or something like that, which is nuts to me. Cause I've been wrestling on this injury for essentially 10 years at that point. Um, but they were like, you need neck surgery and you need it now. So naturally I had three more matches <laughs> that I pro <laughs> probably shouldn't have had, but you know, you have obligations. You I had some, <laughs> I had championships I needed to lose to, to my successors. And then I scheduled the neck surgery and I went and, and they fused my C5 through C7 vertebrae together. Um, and told me don't wrestle anymore, never wrestle again. So that's where I'm at now. Um, but, but luckily through, through your help, I've been able to kind of ease some of these, this pain and some of this stiffness and just learning how to function in this new body that I have that certainly has restrictions. Um, but, but so yeah, that wrestling career was kind of taken away from me, but I didn't really have a choice in the matter, but I'm still connected to it. I'm still involved in the training aspect every day, still run my independent wrestling shows. Um, so I'm still very much connected to the wrestling business and still, it's still very much a part of my everyday life, but just not as an in-ring performer anymore due to that injury. So yeah, injuries were, were very prevalent, but that was certainly the most, uh, devastating one to my career at least. Yeah. I love how you just pivoted right into the education. Yeah, that I was. I had an entrepreneur on the other day, and he was talking about uh, success as an entrepreneur is all about how you pivot. Shit's gonna go wrong. Yeah, and like no one says you have to stay in the place you're at. Just pivot and find something that works. So. Yeah, I mean that's your life doesn't end. You know, it's not over. And luckily, we had started the school while I was still an active performer, um, so I still got. I still got to show some of my students from my first few classes, like, Hey, this is how it's done. We talk about something on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and then I'd bring them to the shows with me on Friday and Saturday. And I would demonstrate what we were talking about and be like, now this is, this is it in action. This is what it looks like in front of an audience, which was awesome for them. And it was awesome for me too, you know, just getting to continue uh, to perform, but also pass along that knowledge. And, you know, you got those long road trips, you're, six hours on the road, eight hours on the road, 10 hours on the road. You got to have something to talk about. So it was more, more education happening during those trips. But, uh, after the neck injury happened and it was like, you're not going to wrestle anymore. Then it was like, okay, this is my main focus now. And this, it's difficult because you don't get, you don't get that, um, satisfaction of performing and getting the reaction from the audience that you have grown so accustomed to over the years and almost addicted to in a way. Um, but now I just have to live vicariously through the students. So I'll tell them, Hey, try it this way. And then they do it and I listen and they get the big reaction they were looking for. And I'm like, all right, cool. I still, I didn't get the reaction, but I got the reaction. You know what I mean? Like that was my idea. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I like, I like that you talk about that, that you, you have to have, you have to pivot. I gave a speech once at an elementary school. I don't know why. I was asked to do that. I've done it one time. That was the time it went really well, thankfully. Um, but that was kind of the theme of, of the speech is that you can plan your life out meticulously uh, from point A to point Z all the way through and, and hope that you hit every single bullet point. But inevitably in everyone's life, something's going to go wrong. It's, it's not going to go exactly as you plan. And you have to be able, like you said, you have to be able to pivot and find a way to make it work for you because the world doesn't stop spinning because I hurt my neck and I need surgery. I still, I had, two kids at that point. Uh, I had a, a mortgage payment and everything. I still needed to make sure that, 
that, you know, I was living my life and I was putting food on the table. And so thankfully we had already opened the school. And so I just, I turned all of my focus. I, I turned it towards that. And I put all of my effort and energy into trying to become the best coach that I could be. And I understood this is, this is your life now. This is what you do. And this is essentially all that you do, um, which isn't true. I do so many different things and try to stay busy in different ways and different creative outlets. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I do now. And that's what I've been doing for seven years. We've had this school open for seven years. So hopefully many more years to come with that. Cause it's a great way to make a living. It really is. It's a fun job. What's the most important thing that you try to give these, these young cats when they leave? I try to tell them that you want to be good at this right away. You're not going to be good at this right away. Even coming to a, a school as reputable as ours and having the trainers that we do, you know, one of our trainers is a top level WWE superstar. That's everyone's dream that breaks into this business. So you want to be good, but you're not going to be good. It takes time. It takes effort. And you're going to cliche again, but you're going to, you're going to get back what you put in. So if you put in the time and the effort and you're down at the, the wrestling gym practicing, lifting weights, uh, working on your physique, working on, you know, the mental aspect of pro wrestling, getting in there and practicing different things. And just again, throwing shit at the wall and, and seeing what sticks, uh, you will get better and it just takes time. So you have to stay focused. You have to allow yourself to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. You failing is good. Learn from your mistakes, learn from your failures, and then try not to repeat those same mistakes. So I tell people don't get discouraged. Um, there's going to be a lot of times in your career where you want to quit. And maybe the smartest thing for you as a, as just a, a living, breathing human being would be to quit. Maybe that is the smartest thing for you to do. But if you really love professional wrestling and you want to make it work, then find a way, find a path, pivot if you need to and, and stick with it. Because there's plenty of times in my life where I was just like, you know what? I need to, I need to be done. I need to be done. And I did quit. I did leave the business for a little while to work on, on healing myself. Um, but you find your way back to it. And so I wouldn't be in a position that I'm in now if I didn't put a lot of time and effort into professional wrestling. Uh, and thankfully I did because this is a great life to live. Uh, but that's basically what I tell people is, is don't let your failures discourage you. Let them motivate you to get better because every failure is just an opportunity to better yourself. Uh, and that's probably the, the lasting piece of advice that I, I like people to leave with. Nice. Nice. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Uh, I'm ready for the questions. I'm not great at short answers as we may have <laughs> discovered already. I got a little blabber mouth here, but I'll, I'll do my best. Long or short as you want. Okay. Easiest way to captivate an audience. Chops. <laughs> slap somebody real hard in the chest because you get the you get the rick flair response Woo! <laughs> uh, um i think authenticity i really i think that's the that's the real answer you have to be real there has to be a part of you that believes it's real because then if you don't if you don't believe it's real then you're just playing wrestler you aren't a wrestler you're playing a wrestler and people see you right through that they can read your your eyes and your body language and your facial expressions and if it's not real to you it's not going to be real to anybody else and if it's not real to them then they're not going to pay a ticket and then nobody's going to watch you wrestle and you might as well go be a dentist because and which is a good job so no i'm not knocking dentists they get paid well go be a dentist if you want to but uh but it's got to be authentic it's got to be real that's the only way to create that connection with the audience who did you emulate when you were starting out? Definitely Shawn Michaels. He's my favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, and we, I did a lot of the same moves. He, he was always a good guy to emulate because he wasn't the biggest of the dudes back in the day. You know, that was when you had guys like uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Lex Luger, like these just bodybuilder, massive human beings. And Shawn Michaels just wasn't that. You know, he's... They build him as six foot, but he was really five foot ten. They build him at like two twenty five, but he was really probably a buck ninety, you know, maybe like two fifteen when he was really heavily into the steroids. But uh, um, at the most, you know, he was my size, you know. And even now, I'm six foot two, two twenty, so I'm bigger than Shawn Michaels ever was. But that was somebody to to emulate because 
when I started in wrestling, I was probably six foot even, 165 pounds. I was a small guy in wrestling. And now wrestling is kind of morphing towards more of a smaller type uh, individual, more athletic and agile. Luckily, I was able to have that at my six foot frame. Um, but I was able to take a lot of the things that he did and, and, and use it in my work with the guys I was in there with. Because in 2003, when I broke in, it was still, you know, a lot of six foot four, six foot five guys. Um, so it was helpful to, to, you know, harken back to the, to all the Shawn Michaels matches I had watched being a super fan growing up. And it wasn't even like a conscious decision to do it. A lot of times there'd just be some times where I'd get to the back and one of my buddies who had watched the match was like, Oh man, you, you know, you did this just like Sean did this. Or, you know, you, you gave this look that Sean would always give. And I'm like, I wasn't even trying to do that. That's just you know, from years of watching and studying his matches closely, it just comes out naturally. So Shawn Michaels was probably my biggest wrestling influence. Favorite walk-up tune? Oh gosh, I've had so many entrance songs, but probably when I came back, I talked about leaving for a little bit and then coming back in 2012, I used uh, The Bitches Back by Elton John. <laughs> and it's just, I was a bad guy too, so it fit really well. Uh, it was just so sassy and I would like, I would strut when I came out and I would look at everybody and I'm like, The Bitches Back, baby. You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to do this. And honestly, at that time, when I was dealing with my neck injury, but trying to wrestle through it, I wasn't the, the nicest person to be around. And I wasn't... Uh, I, I was rude to a lot of people, a lot of pro fellow performers, uh, promoters, and and even wrestling fans. I just I I didn't I wasn't happy that I wasn't going to get the contract that I wanted to get, that I wasn't going to progress uh, in the wrestling business like I had planned on for the, for the last you know five years at that point. Um, so I was just a bitter human being and a bitter individual, and I hadn't reconciled all that within myself yet. So I was just a dick to people, and so like when I came back, that was like. Like I, I did a, an extensive apology tour. Every show I was on, I would find people that I knew from, from before. And I would say, Hey, I just want to apologize to you for the way I acted. But I, I had a little bit of a reputation as like a diva or an asshole. And so I just was like, let's play it up. Then if, if people have heard stories and, and they already have this preconceived notion about it, I'm supposed to be the bad guy. Anyways, you're supposed to boo me. Let's play it up. So I just came out to a song that says the bitch, the bitch, the bitch is back. <laughs> Lean into it. Oh yeah, which is funny because I actually just bought Elton John tickets this morning for his farewell tour. <laughs> Going to see him at Soldier Field next year. So nice. that'll be fun. Big Elton John guy. I can tell. Yeah. Worst walk-up tune you've ever heard. Oh, that I've ever heard? God, probably any of the songs I hear nowadays coming doing shows. <laughs> like everyone, everyone comes out to these like crappy rap songs. And like I have nothing against rap music. I grew up when... I was in elementary school when rap blew up and it was Tupac and Biggie and, and Coolio and like people laugh now, but Gangster's Paradise was a tune, man. And we all <laughs> loved that song. Um, and Bone Thugs and Harmony and, and you know, like that was like, that was music I listened to on cassette tape back in the, the mid 1990s. Um, so I do like rap music. I'm not, I don't dislike rap music. I dislike today's rap music because everyone sounds the same and everyone has the same cadence in their raps and all that stuff. So like people, kids will be like, Oh, this is my song and they'll play it. And I'm like, it's not you. That doesn't match you at all. That's not, that doesn't match your character. That doesn't match who you are or, you know, the type of gear you wear. I'm like, it's just silly, it's just silly stuff. So I can't name a specific song. Um, my first entrance song was a song called Robo Flow by Pomeroy, which I'm pretty sure they're like a jazz band, but they released this like crappy rap song as a joke. And so if you get a chance, look it up. It's called Robo Flow by Pomeroy. You can edit it in right now. I don't know if you get Robo copyrighted Flo, on that. Yeah. Robo Flow by Pomeroy. <laughs> okay. That, I'm sorry. I hit the mic here. Oh, you're good, bud. But uh, yeah, that... Most people would say that's a bad entrance song, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best way to get over a bad match. Man, that's, that's tough. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, we always used to say the saying that was passed down to us, which was, uh, you'll get him next time, kid. And we would always say it in that voice too, like emulating some of the old grizzled veterans that, that we uh, wrestled alongside when we broke in. But uh, 
I think the best way to get over it is to talk about it in the car with the people you rode with. Just, you know, typically out of courtesy, you'll watch everyone's match and then everyone will kind of dissect it in the car. You'll talk about it. You'll be like, hey, this is why I think this went wrong. Did you notice anything else? Were you watching the crowd a little bit more than I was able to? Um, just get everybody else's advice. And then really the best way is to get back on the horse, go and do it again, either the next night or the following weekend and try to correct those issues and, and, and work on the things that you need to work on. So try not to dwell on it too much. Everyone has bad matches. Even today, Seth will talk about, he'll text me after a match and be like, Oh, did you watch that one? What a fucking load of shit that was. And I'm yeah. like, man, that was a great match. What are you talking about? But standards change as you get to his level, I suppose. Yeah. Well, uh, that feeling that you feel when you when you bomb a show, that's what you're supposed to feel. That's yeah. That means you care exactly. Yeah. If if you have a bad match and you're like, man, fuck it, I don't give a <laughs> shit. Then maybe you're in the wrong profession. Maybe yeah. you should maybe you should go be a dentist. Yeah, go but be hey, a- man, you mess up being a dentist, you'll find out real quick. <laughs> uh, best way to celebrate a good match. I always like grabbing a couple of these and. Uh, Depending on what town you were in, if you knew somebody that wanted to hang out and, and party a little bit afterwards, maybe you get a group of people together and and uh, have a little fun. I don't know. That was that was years ago when I was younger and, and I had that long hair. Good looking young man. But uh, yeah, nowadays, like, and again, I'm not performing nowadays, but like as soon as the show's over, all I can think about is I want to get home. I want to lay down in my nice, comfortable bed with my nice orthopedic pillow and rest this neck. And I want to turn on, usually like if it's a Saturday, I'm like, I want to turn on Saturday night live and get a good chuckle in before I pass out. You know? So I don't know. This, whatever. It changes as you get older. I'm definitely feeling old now. I'm just talking about watching SNL <laughs> on my orthopedic pillow. Well, thank you so much for com- coming on, Merrick Brave. Hey, man. It was a blast. Um, what do you have coming up? What do you, what do you want to blast oh, out Oh, man. There? I got so much. We got, you know, we got stuff with Black and Brave going on. Our classes are essentially full until 20, not even essentially, definitely 100% full until 2023. So uh, if you're interested in becoming a wrestler and you got a little bit of, you don't worry, you don't mind uh, waiting a little bit, Black and Brave Wrestling, blackandbravewrestling.com. Um, sign up for our 2023 classes. Um, you can check us out. Our new merch website is blackandbravemerch.com. That's the first time I've said that on a podcast. It used to be Black and Brave Apparel, but now it's blackandbravemerch.com. Check that out. Uh, we got t-shirts and tank tops and hats and pint glasses and socks and weight belts and a whole bunch of stuff. I never thought that I would be managing an apparel line uh, at a, as a 35 year old adult, but here I am. And it's actually pretty fun. You know, I get to, I'm wearing one of the shirts right now. So, I like it. um, and then my independent promotion is called SCW pro. So if you're anywhere uh, in the Midwest here and you want to check out some good professional wrestling that, that focuses on storytelling and creating those emotional connections that we talked about SCW pro on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, you'll find our upcoming schedule of events on July 17th. We're in Muscatine, July 24th. We are in Moline, Illinois at the beer stube. Uh, and then we have some, some fun surprises after that. Maybe some, uh, return to indoor action here pretty soon. Now that this pandemic's wrapping up, we're not sure. (laughs) Maybe it's looking good. Yeah. 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 Just get get the damn shot folks. (laughs) Do it. And help me out. If you're uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to toss those links below the video. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Ty. Like it was a blast. On soon. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll come back and do it again. We'll awesome. talk about all all of these wonderful SNL episodes I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Take care. Thanks. You too.